0: So welcome to All Things Apostolic. We're glad you're with us today. We're going to have a great time. We have a great time every day at All Things Apostolic. So we're glad that you joined us. Uh, Today we have a very interesting subject uh, that we're going to consider. I read some interesting things about um, a woman named Diane um, Irinsaft is the best I can pronounce it. Um, She is a professor at UCSF, that's the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. I've been to this hospital many times, many hours. My daughter actually had a kidney transplant at this hospital. So um, this woman, Erin Saft, is a director of mental health and a chief psychologist at the UCSF, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, Benoit Children's Hospital Gender Development Center. Gender Development Center. Are we developing gender? or Anyway, so Gender Development Center. And she specializes in gender affirmative care. Get this now. Gender affirmative care. All right. That sounds good for transgender and gender-expansive patients. Gender-expansive patients. Um, She focuses on the effects of puberty blockers and hormones, which are given to children um, as uh, cross-sex hormones, which are part of, quote, chemical sex change. So... You can chemically change people's sex. is the assumption here. Chemical sex change on children. So there's all kinds of things that come to our minds before we even get started is who decided that this child needed a chemical sex change and who would trust the words of a child about what they want um, if it's on a life-changing thing at all in terms of acting on that at a particular time, and what kind of diagnosis would make us think that a child wanted or needed a chemical sex change. Chemical sex change on children just sounds terrifying to me. Anyway, um, uh, she claims that children can identify as nine different categories of gender distinctions nine different categories of gender distinction. And I think I have them all here. It's, chan- it's, uh, it's transgender children. It is uh, gender expansive children. It's gender fluid children. It's gender non-binary children. And then she's got a list called gender hybrids. Uh, the first gender hybrid is half boy and half girl. Then there's a gender by season. Uh, in the school year, she's a girl. In uh, summer, uh, uh, a boy. And then uh, gender by location. In At home, a boy. at Grandma's a girl. So these are all um, considered to be some kind of categories that Diane Irinsaft and I suppose others uh, have created a sort of uh, core thoughts that they have about children. Now, remember, children have been on the earth. In fact, most adults at one time were children. Well, I guess all adults I would be at one time children. And there have been literally billions of these little children. And uh, somehow we've made it to here without this department of the UCSF. But anyway, it is... Uh, Very interesting here. Uh, And she not only tries to be supportive and care and, and help with these kind of things, according to her interpretation, and I'm sure others' interpretation, but she also supports a, this is by her own admission, a gender revolution. So, what does that mean? A gender revolution. She goes further than most in saying that kids can identify as these gender hybrids that we just said, which would include half girl, half boy, uh, gender by season. So uh, at school, you're there a girl, summer, they're a boy, Uh, gender by location, at home, a boy, at grandma's a girl. Uh, All of these are, uh, you know, I'm fairly old, and I've had a lot of summers as a child before I became an adult. I don't ever remember seeing any of these. Uh, Somebody was a boy during the school year and a girl in the summer or vice versa. um, This is definitely a dysfunctional situation if it is happening, and it certainly... Um, is not normal, and why would anybody want to normalize a person who had these conditions uh, to try to tell them that it's a normal situation? Instead, we ought to be trying to give them good help, just like we do on anything else that is a abnormality. So how, how do you judge normal? Somebody says, well, this is all normal. It's not normal. Normal, by definition, is very simple. It's what the vast majority are. That that that's that's the norm for that group. And so, if you take the human race, uh, the norm for that group is that there is there are men and there are women, and um, it's like the one guy said: if you, if you give me five hundred thousand dollars for every gender, I'd be a millionaire. So, um, and this is. Uh, we have uh, we have a whole history here. This is, I mean, a history of mankind here. And uh, everybody grew up to be either a man or a woman, and ironically, their gender matched their sex. Now, are there situations where there are abnormalities? Uh, I would say, absolutely, there is in almost everything. Um because earth is in a less than perfect condition. And so everything on earth uh, is flawed to one extent or another. And biblically, we would say this is a result of the fall, that sin distorts everything. And that um, if you read Genesis chapter 3, you can see that virtually everything uh, fell under a curse when, Adam and Eve sinned. Adam fell under a curse. Eve fell under a curse. The serpent fell under a curse. And the whole earth fell under a curse. There it is. So all of this, all of this is a very strange um, situation. Now, um, there is also uh, one of the hybrid uh, classifications that uh, Dr. Irinsaft had, that I haven't mentioned yet, and is a gender minotaur, or minotaur, and uh, that means that they're one sex on the top part of their anatomy, and they're another sex on the bottom part of their anatomy, and so uh, transgender children uh, in in these ideas is relating to a person whose gender identity does not correspond to that person's sex assigned at birth. And so one of the first things we'd say is that everybody's gender does match um the sex that they were born with. And secondly, the idea that a person's sex is assigned at birth, and we would we would say that it is a person's sex at birth whether it's assigned or not assigned and uh, when a doctor writes boy or girl he is writing what he sees and observes he is not assigning a sex according to some decision like a judge in a court the only exception would be uh, to that and we will get to this the only exception would be if a person is born with abnormal physical uh, parts or characteristics. And uh, that abnormality would create uh, a situation where there are decisions that have to be made, actions that have to be taken that uh, help to give this baby the best life that they can in the future. And so um, sex is not assigned at birth in a normal situation. It's identified. Uh, except in those rare cases where a person is born with ovarian or testicular tissue, some with one or both, uh, containing both kind of tissue, uh, these things do happen, and um, and doctors have been dealing with this as, as long as I guess there has been doctors. So um, <clears throat> there, is a, there is a woman uh, named Anne Fosto Sterling who wrote a book, and she asserts that of people in the world are born intersex. 1.7% are born where they are not clearly man or clearly woman. This makes them, uh, at least anatomically, this makes them fairly common. That would mean 17 out of every thousand um, is, is born this way. And she lists the most common conditions, which comprise intersex, she says, 1.7%. There are other, uh, these, these are, some of these are estimates from research, some of these are estimates uh, of people that are making assumptions that, that assume that there is up to 3% of all human beings are caught in this intersex, in this uh, ambiguity of sex when they are born. Uh, anatomically, they are they are this way is what they say up to 3%. So uh, the difference in these percentages, and I'm not through with that subject yet, but the, the difference in these percentages um, uh, depends on how big your umbrella is that you include uh, in the area of actually being transgender. So some of these include things that are not transgender in the umbrella of being transgender and it and it bulks up the percentage so uh, these percentages are contested on the basis that um, uh, in in this woman's case that wrote this book that five of these are not intersex conditions there is no meaningful sense in which they can be considered intersex she but she puts them in there and then she uses them. But in the in her book, the examples that she uses of transgender people, none of them come from those five that are on the outer limits that should not be considered transgender. They come from uh, a, a, a much, much, much smaller place. So uh, 99% of the people that she wants to include as intersex fall in the category of the five above that do not qualify as intersex. And so when you remove those from her Conflated list and take only the people who were unambiguously born intersex, the number shrinks to zero point zero two percent. Zero point zero two percent of the population. That's fewer than two in ten thousand births. It's it's not very many. Now, according to this Anne Fausto Sterling's own figures among classic intersex cases. The two most common comprise 0.008% of the population. Get that, 0.008% of the population. Now, this has nothing to do with whether we think that this particular, uh, a very small group of the population deserves every kind of care that they can get, and and needs every kind of care, which would be more care probably than uh, a, a normal child. That's not that's not at stake. What is at stake, though, is number one is conflating the numbers for whatever purposes. Number two, what is at stake is that um, the attempts to remedy the problems that came from abnormalities at birth, and so about. Point seven eight percent, less than one percent of every uh, ten thousand. So this is according. This is according to uh, facts and figures that have been. They're not. They're not mine. Uh, they are mined. M i n e d, and um, and we're just using them here. So what is the what is the purpose of conflating the the percentages? Well. Uh, uh, if you are for a gender revolution, whatever in the world that means, you need to define what a gender revolution is. What is a gender revolution? If people are born with these anatomical differences um, uh, that creates questions about gender in, in the minds of, of uh, these people, then what do you, why do you call that a revolution? Do you mean a gender a revolution in the care of people with gender? Uh, do you mean we need to cut them up more to try to s- resolve their their problems physically? Cut them up more, or, or what is meant by that? It's all kind of all kind of dark. So here's another thing. Um, well, let's finish this tomorrow.